Hello, and welcome to this special conversation as part of the Writing Life podcast. I'm Peggy Hughes. At the start of 2021, I invited three writers to write a piece on the theme Weather With You. I offered them a very broad brief, inspired by an article last February by Jenny Ofo for the National Centre for Writing, in which she explored the circumstances around writing her brilliant novel, Weather. What atmospheric pressures go into the work? What impact does a year like the one we've just had have on what and how one is able to write? The three invited writers are Kareni Doherty, Abir Mukherjee and Derek Awusu and they've delivered three terrific and very different responses on their weather and the views from where they are writing from. Nonetheless, as Heather Parry writes in her introduction to the series, taken together, they remind us that, as with other forces of nature, there is no destination for creative work. The role of the artist and the process of writing, of being a writer, is, like the weather, ever-changing, ever-shifting, ever-renewing, and always, of course, a surprise. These pieces are part of our Arts Council England Ambition for Excellence funded programme, Open Doors, and we're very grateful for their support in making this possible. In this episode, you will hear Derek Awusu discuss his piece, The Heart of Glass, with writer Sean Hewitt. Derek is a writer, poet and podcaster from North London. He discovered his passion for literature at the age of 23 while studying exercise science at university. Unable to afford a change in degree, Derek began reading voraciously and sneaking into English literature lectures at the University of Manchester. Derek edited and contributed to SAFE on Black British Men Reclaiming Space, an anthology. That Reminds Me is his first solo work and it won the Desmond Elliott Prize in 2020. Sean Hewitt's debut collection, Tongues of Fire, is published by Jonathan Cape. He's a book critic for the Irish Times and teaches modern British and Irish literature at Trinity College, Dublin. Sean won a Northern Writers Award, the Resurgence Prize and an Eric Gregory Award in 2019. He's been chosen by the Sunday Times as one of their 30 under 30 most promising artists in Ireland. He has two books forthcoming, J.M. Singh, Nature, Politics, Modernism, coming out with Oxford University Press, and a memoir, All Down, Darkness Wide, forthcoming from Jonathan Cape next year. So, Derek, how are you? How's life in St. Helens? Yeah, life in St. Helens is fine, it's quiet, it's peaceful, lots of opportunities to go for walks. And... It makes a big difference to be able to get outside. Exactly, exactly. It's so, so much different to London. I never knew that I needed this kind of peace and quiet. Obviously, I do, because I've just been able to think a lot more clearly. The people are not scowling all the time. They say good morning when they see you. It's a very different vibe to London, you know. Yeah, did you grow up in London? Was it a busy environment? Pretty much. Um, busy, hectic all the time. You know, just sound of cars. It's weird because the sound of cars now is peaceful to me. So, because we're not really near a motorway, so when I walk through, there's this place called The Dream, and I walk through it, and there's like, you can stand up on the hill and see the motorway. Just listening to the motorway, it just puts me into this relaxed state. I don't know why. I grew up not too far from there, and there was always kind of this gentle hum of the motorway that kind of reminded you that there were people going somewhere, but you weren't. And that was quite nice. It's quite yeah, peaceful. Yeah, may- maybe that's what it is. Because in London, I have no intention of standing listening to cars go by. <laughs> you know, it gets on my nerves, but here it's, it's peaceful. Good. And I can hear the birds chirping in the background there, which gives me a segue to ask you about the commission that you've done. I believe the brief was something around how's the weather where you are. So 
maybe you can answer in a literal way first and then and then talk about how you approached it i mean i i wasn't really paying much attention to the weather unless it kind of was hailing or or, or snowing or whatever like that because even if it was cold it was raining a bit or it was hot i would still my my thinking was i'm still going to go for a walk but then i just i started kind of thinking oh, i wonder what the weathers are like when my moods are in in flux or when i'm when i'm really angry or when i'm because i, I one thought that occurred to me was that when I was younger, whenever I'd be really, really angry, I would notice that it would start raining. It probably didn't do this, but in my childlike mind, I thought that my anger was making it rain. And that's how I kind of approached the piece from that thought and started thinking about different states of emotions or thinking how that could potentially affect the weather externally, but you know, your kind of internal weather as well. Another thing that was kind of in my mind is that I remember listening to Ruby Wax talk about mental health and she said that one way she asks people how they're doing is she says what's the weather like in your head at the moment and then th- the answer they give it that she's able to then ascertain what the mental state they're in and I just, I just thought that, oh, that's a really 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 good idea that's kind of like the use of metaphor mm-hmm. in that way to, to really allow you to speak in a way that almost gives you permission to enter into a subject that taken literally might be more difficult to try and open it up through the weather there's sort of a maybe a sort of sympathetic magic in that idea you have as a child of of affecting the weather Mm. kind of pathetic fallacy something that we would see perhaps as a sort of well as a fallacy but it feels real and it feels like a way to understand the world perhaps in a way to understand yourself how do you find writing to commission is it something that you've done before I've done it a few times. I don't often take on commissions because I'm really bad at writing to a deadline. I never finish writing ever anything I write. I never feel like it's finished. I still revise my novel, even though it's never gonna. I'm never gonna be able to put it in print like that. But I still sometimes open it up and make corrections and stuff. Do you take the opportunity to change stuff if you're ever reading aloud from it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I do. And sometimes people notice <laughs> as well. So yeah, I don't normally take on commissions. But I did, I, I, I like this one. The writing center has been, they've been very supportive of me as well. So I wanted to work with them. Yeah, to think about that idea of a, of a metaphor allowing you to speak. Sometimes perhaps the restriction of a commission can feel difficult, but this one feels quite open as if you could kind of come up with your own interpretation of the metaphor and speak how you wanted to about the weather. Yeah, I had a lot of fun writing this actually, because I just, I just allowed myself to write because... When I first started writing, I was free writing. So I think I wrote about seven, six, 7,000 words. And then I had to edit it down to 3,000. I think it went over that by a bit as well. Actually. I think it went to about 4,000. But um, yeah, I had a lot of fun um, writing this piece. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed reading it. And I, it's interesting that you say that, that you free wrote some of it, because that was one of the questions that I, I wanted to come to. But why don't we start off just by explaining what you've written? How did you approach it for people that haven't read it yet? I think with everything that I do, I love, you know, fusing fact and fiction. And I kind of wanted to explore how I came to be in Liverpool, how I've been experiencing it, and also how I always think about my writing whenever I decide to do something. And I I feel like a lot of writers do this. They may not admit it, but, you know, when something happens, they kind of make a mental note of it and say, oh, I wonder what that's going to be like, what that would be like in fiction. Or I wonder if I go here, what material can I get from this experience that would help? Do you know what I mean? Just kind of thinking like that. And I think that's a... I don't think that's a great way to live, of course, because then it just completely takes over your life. But sometimes you can't help but do that. So I wanted to explore that in there as well. And with dreams as well, because like I said, you know, I, I do like to free write. I like writing when I'm really, really tired. 
that kind of state you're in where you don't know if you're awake or you're asleep. I like writing like that and then coming back to it in the morning and just reading what I've written. Do you find that that's kind of a, a more freeing time inside your mind in that kind of half dream, half waking state? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so I took this from, I think I, can't I think it was Carl Jung maybe, or I can't remember who it was, but they were just talking about the more tired you get, the barrier between subconscious and conscious kind of breaks down and you're able to then, you know, project more of what you're really feeling and thinking. So I just started doing that a while ago and I really, I really enjoy doing it. It's fun. Obviously, a lot of the stuff that you write is absolute garbage. Like, it's just rubbish, you know. But it's always interesting to read. Sometimes there is something that's useful that you can, you could take and then you read it back and just think, I really don't remember writing this. I could never write this again, but at least I've got it now so I can edit it and make it readable. I mean, yeah, I find the same thing with Freud sometimes. I remember having an argument with someone saying, you know, even if you think it's all rubbish, it's an interesting way to think. Exactly. And that's kind of all that you need, really, isn't it? The kind of free play of all of these kind of crazy ideas. And even if it doesn't map onto reality in the way that you experience it or the way you think it works, it's still kind of interesting to have that permission to think symbolically or, or think historically in some ways that feel less tethered perhaps absolutely and i think i think the best way to take people like freud and carl Jung is to take a lot of what they say is just thought experiments like to see them as like philosophers rather than scientists because you know obviously the standard of science is i mean the psychoanalysis wouldn't pass any kind of rigorous scientific you know examination so if you just take everything they're saying as like thought experiments i really feel like it can kind of enrich your imagination and and how you write and, and things like that. Do you think when you were writing this commission that there was something between weather and dreams that seemed symbolically or or imaginatively rich for you, the, the link between those two things? Yeah, ma mainly because I personally sleep a lot better when it's raining. A lot of the time I had to put on a YouTube video where it's just kind of rain in order to get to sleep. And that sometimes that would filter through into my dreams. I would wake up in the middle of a dream and I remember, oh, it was raining in this dream or I was soaking wet. You know, the worst is, oh, I need to go to the toilet and I have to turn <laughs> turn the rain off. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling because I do the exact same thing. I um I have my favourite six-hour YouTube videos of, of rain or... Or the rainforest or something, and you occasionally get a bird shrieking in your dream, and, and then you wake up and you realise <laughs> you kind of think it's in your room or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and also, I kind of wanted to kind of explore the idea that, you know, it's very difficult to remember the weather on a particular day unless something significant happens. And it's, it's the same with dreams. Unless something crazy happens, maybe wakes you out of your dream, you don't remember it. I thought you did a really good job at the beginning of kind of talking about the things we remember that happen in our mind and in our body and then the things that perhaps leave a trace but we forget when we wake up and there seems to be a sort of attention to things that might affect us or things that our body might be doing when we're not conscious of them and trying to bring those into language is a really difficult job i wonder do you, do you think that you know psychoanalysis it's something that a lot of writers like maybe particularly the the modernists kind of turn to talking therapies and these kind of thought experiments if we think about them like that as ways of unlocking or, or ways of getting outside of received ways of writing or received ways of thinking do you find that there is a, a relationship between those things for you do you find that these thought experiments allow you to speak about things that you weren't conscious of and suddenly they appear 
Yeah, 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 ab- absolutely. They benefit your imagination, and especially the books that I really enjoy are the books where they really get into the mind of a character. I think psychoanalysis is a lot more interesting and more fun than, you know, kind of rigorous psychology. And because it all sounds plausible, so a lot, some of it sounds a bit wacky, you know, but a lot of it, you, you listen to it and it's like, this makes sense. It appeals to common sense, of course, but, you know, wouldn't wouldn't pass under the scope of science. But that's what we need. Well, that's what I like to read anyway, in terms of literature, especially when writing poetry and things like that. I think it's really kind of important to, especially when talking about when Carl Jung talks about dreams and stuff, the way he describes them. I think that we can benefit from those kind of descriptions in our poetry, in fiction as well, with the kind of fiction that I like. I keep saying that, the kind of fiction that I like. Is there anyone that you, any writers that you think do that particularly well get inside the character in ways that you you admire yeah yeah definitely jose saramago i think he's great at doing that and he's just an amazing pro stylist as well i think he's probably the perfect writer for me like i think milan kundera used to do it well a certain stage in his career with the male characters not so much with the you know the female characters ralph ellison does it really well in invisible man i think Uh, and that's one of my favorite books i think he does it and i think that he was kind of influenced by that as well that kind of comes across kind of like definitely influenced by Dostoevsky's you know notes from underground because obviously the beginning is even based on that book and obviously Dostoevsky takes a lot of influence or takes a lot of influence I can't remember if he influenced Freud or Freud influenced I can't remember which way around it was but those two are are connected either one of them created the other basically in terms of their influence on each other but yeah of course Dostoevsky as well does it scarily well although I I do think he's um some of his characters could do with a bit of optimism because I don't think anybody's 100% pessimistic and cynical all the time there are always flashes even if you don't recognize them i think a writer should be able to recognize that nobody lives like that non-stop yeah my partner is russian is his, his first language and he's always giving me russian books to read i'm like are there any happy ones like, can you give me something <laughs> that's not going to destroy me by the time i get to the end uh it seems very much a, a national cast of of thinking but yeah sometimes there's a place for that sort of the darker weather because i remember in in that reminds me that you know that there is dark weather in that book but there's also a sense of clouds breaking sometimes and we don't leave it feeling oppressed by the dark weather is that something that you try to balance in your writing absolutely yeah yeah because i know that in my own life that happens just never want to write a character or write a series of poems where it's just bleak all the time yeah so i mean yeah just just little little you know kind of just little moments that kind of just make you half smile yeah. That's all it takes, really. I'm sure this is a, a common thing, but often in the worst times of your life, things are things can have that tendency to become funny. You know, when something is, is really going wrong and then you have this moment where someone will say something stupid and you can't help but laugh at them. Or, or there's like a moment of tenderness that seems yes. integral to the darkness as well. One of the dreams that really struck me that you recount in the commission or the, or the uh, speaker of the, the piece recounts is one of sentences spilling out of their mind like ticker tape, a sort of like automatic writing that's just kind of spilling out of the, out of the consciousness or out of the subconsciousness. And I, I wonder, do you have any, I mean, we spoke about you liking this half dream, half awake state, but do you have any kind of practices or, or things that you do to try and get your writing out? 
onto the page. Yeah, I have a ritual of, of gin and cranberry juice. And the thing is, I, I tried so hard to resist this because when I was kind of obsessed with writers and I just, before I was even writing myself and I used to watch a lot of kind of lectures on, on writing, I remember watching a lecture from Christopher Hitchens and I think one of the first things he said was, do not fall into the trap of thinking you need to drink to write. You don't. And I've somehow fallen into that trap thinking if I don't have a glass of gin <laughs> next to my laptop, nothing is going to, to come off that, that writing session. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my, my, my ritual um, at the moment. But no, you know, if I'm, I think if an idea has really possessed me, then yeah, I, 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 it's hard. I can't really force myself to write. Again, that's why taking on commissions, I don't really like to do. Because I just feel like when I force myself to write, it just it just feels like agony. It doesn't feel like fun. And I never want writing to feel like work for me because then I just won't want to do it ever again. Is it something that you do full time? No. So, so part time, I currently work part time at Penguin Random House, actually. So books are my full time. I see myself more of a reader than, than a writer at the moment. But yeah, books are full time. But writing, yeah, part time. I wonder if when you read, are there ways in which other writers jog you into thinking you know is that practice of, of reading a lot all day do you find that a, a really fruitful thing for your writing because you know like sometimes you read something and you're like oh I didn't know that was possible and it kind of challenges you or, or makes you aware of new ways of of approaching things can, can you think of any times when that has happened for you that happens to me all the time so for example I have to really contain myself when I'm reading like a really good novel because I'll read like a really good paragraph or a good sentence and I'm just kind of like, I need to get up and write. I I, I can't let this exist and me not try to write something <laughs> as good. <laughs> so I really have to stop myself from doing that. Otherwise I'll just never finish books. But yeah, so I, I, I really enjoy, you know, pro stylists, writers who, who know they're great writers and just kind of show off kind of like Michael Chabon and Jose Saramago and authors like that who um, just really try and bend grammar and language to their will. Whenever I read, yeah, writers like that, I'm just really inspired. Because I, I, just, I, just, I really enjoy writers who just, who just don't care for the rules. There's something quite revelatory sometimes when, when someone really doesn't care for the rules and they kind of show you a new way, almost in the, in the way that we might think of a dream unlocking, a kind of logic and the illogical or the real and the surreal. Perhaps those writers kind of offer you a new dream of how language can be or what it can show you what it can do and that's a really enticing thing do you think yeah ab absolutely absolutely you know if i i hate to not hate to but i don't really like to kind of like define the kind of the kind of writing that i do or kind of what kind of school of thought that i'm associated with or whatever but if i had if i was really really pressed to do it, i would say that i'm leaning towards more surrealist kind of writing when i'm writing i think in impressions I can't think in any other way when I'm when I'm writing. Do you have a sense before you start writing of kind of an intangible sense of what the thing should feel like or sound like or what the atmosphere is? Is that how you begin? Do you think it's like a pre-verbal? Yeah, absolutely. Someone said this to me the other day and I realised, wow, I really do this. Like they said, you know, every book starts with a, a couple of emotions. And for me, every sentence starts with, an emotion and it just carries on and, and filters through. So yeah, I always start with a feeling or I wouldn't even, not even, not even a thought. Cause I don't think much when I'm writing except about the kind of rhythm and in, internal tone and mood of, of the writing. 
I don't think much about ideas and, and stuff like that. Does it doesn't really interest me, to be honest with you. I remember, I don't know if I was listening to an interview with Alice Oswald, if I read it somewhere, but she was talking about rhythm being the main thing that she kind of taps into. And once that's there, she says she doesn't start by asking, am I thinking, but am I listening? As in, am I listening to that rhythm of something that I need to get out? And in that reminds me, there's there's a sense of rhythm and there's even rhyme employed through. And I wonder if you feel a rhythm building as you're writing, does it feel like a bodily practice to you? Yeah, yeah. It feels like the person I'm writing about has an internal rhythm that I'm trying that and it just kind of exudes from their body or it's it manifests itself in the way they think or the way or the way they speak. Yeah, absolutely, you know. Yeah, I always start with not a rhythm but just an emotion. And 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 yeah, and just and just kind of take it from there. You know, it kind of like you know I do enjoy reading writers who I read and say and I can say to myself, wow, this guy is a genius. Like, you know, like I just actually read, recently read a book called When We Cease to Understand the World. And I read it and I just thought, wow, this guy is really clever. But there was not a moment where I read a passage. No, that that's not true. There were a couple of moments like that. But there wasn't a lot of moments where I read a passage and kind of like stop and be like, or like, you know, when, I don't know, I don't know if you listen to hip hop, but like you listen to a rapper and they kind of, they say, say a lyric and you have to pause it. And you're just like, Wow. You know what I mean? Just like wow, damn, that was <laughs> that was that was that was a great lyric. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I I read more for those moments than to say, wow, this is really clever. Well, he's he's a he's a smart fellow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I th- I think I do the same. There are books I think that kind of invite different ways of reading. One of them is it invites you to be intellectual and in, in, or it you sort of read for information to kind of educate yourself in one way. And then there's another way of enjoying a book, which is kind of that that place that almost seems beyond information. It reminded me, actually, I, I was struck when you had in your commission the your visit to the Dream sculpture. That's in St. Helens, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. And tell us what it looks like. I, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've never actually been to to visit, it, but it's like this long head. Yeah, it's a long long head that goes quite high into the sky, and it's um, it's a girl, and she's kind of got her hair pulled back in kind of like curtains and rolled into a bun at the back. I, I wrote about this as well. I, I remember the first time I went there and I was kind of looking at it. And I said to my girlfriend, I was like, what is that? And she was like, oh, it's a, it's a, a girl dreaming. And I said, I said, that's a, that's a phallus, man. <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking? She was like, no, look at the signs, read the board and it says about the writer. And I said, no, this guy's having us all on. I said to myself, he wants us to he wants us to look at this and see a penis. I said to her, trust me, you know, I was like, I've seen enough, I know what that is. Do you know what I mean? Um and she's she's still not convinced, but I'm so convinced that that's what because even with the the where the curtains are in her hair, it looks like a helmet. And I'm just like, Well, why is her hair long head long like that? And she said, Oh, it's because her thoughts have been taken into I said that he's having you guys on, man. Yeah, I was actually reading about this. Maybe this actually goes cements your theory. There was a plan apparently to shoot a white light out of the top into the into the sky, so there would be this kind of beam of light coming out of the top. I mean, come on. <laughs> it does seem to suggest that you're right. Apparently it was something it it was not allowed for planning reasons but i think maybe if it had been there maybe your girlfriend would believe you right okay. <laughs> i mean the, it was supposed <laughs> to be because the the motto of saint helens is ex terra lucem out of the ground light 
So apparently, you know, like it was supposed to be this light coming up through the uh, head. I mean, now it's a penis. My question is a different one or has different resonances. But I was I was wondering, because it has this kind of sense of the prophetic or the futuristic, you know, this sense of the head elongating with the dream up into the sky. And it kind of made me think about, you know, people like Shelley and others who kind of thought of dreams as being prophetic or new ways of thinking that might actually mould future ways of doing stuff. Do you, do you think of, of dreams and the subconscious in that way, like that they might offer new modes of being, new, new ways of, of doing stuff? Is that why you turn to them? No, not, not, not really. I think I avoid that. I think just because of the kind of wacky and absurd nature of a lot of dreams, I would really resist the idea that it's holding some sort of real life information or, you know, guiding me in some way. I would never I would never allow my dreams to guide. I mean maybe that maybe I do unconsciously, I don't know. But consciously I would never allow my dreams to guide me. It'd probably lead to me making a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think any of us would you'd be lucky if you wanted to be in the space of your dreams a lot. But uh for most of us that might not be the most pleasant place to uh, exist in real life. Um, how did you arrive at the title of the commission, The Heart of Glass? Yes, yes. So just because, I mean, I believe St. Helens is known for, I think it's, it's glass factories. There was a lot of glass production around here. And I just thought that sounds really interesting. And also I was kind of thinking of, because um, it, it was obviously the theme of weather, I was thinking about snow globes as well and how obviously the body can have its own in, in, internal weather that a lot of people don't have access to. Kind of made me think, at the end, you have this image of the hail tapping against the glass. Nature makes things this way. I wonder where else it is hailing to. Crystalline tears trying to break in. You kind of reminded me of, of the end of of The Dead, Joyce's uh, short story. You know, the, the snow is general all over Ireland, falling on the all the living and all, all the dead. Um, I've never read it, no. Oh, oh my God. Is it, okay. is it that good? I need to read it, don't I? It's, it's really, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, perhaps a bit too long to be called a short story. It's maybe a novella. It's about, I don't know, 60 pages long or something. It's, yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it. But in that way, kind of, I wondered if there was something, you know, we have kind of the weather inside our head, but in that final thought there, there seems to be something kind of connective with a shared dream or a shared weather, it might take us outside ourselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, when people kind of cheesily say stuff when you're far away and they're like, oh, you're looking at the same moon or something. Was that something that you were thinking about with the weather? Like that the, the even there might be a mental internal weather and there might be a way that it affects a general population's mood as well. Is that something that you found during lockdown? Like have you, have you kind of, do you think it's changed your empathy with with people around you because there's kind of this obvious common experience? I, I would say it's probably changed other people's um, empathy. I, th- I feel like, you know, I've always been like this kind of like just really trying my best always to understand people and their positions and never knowing what they've been through or where they're coming from and those those kind of things. I think now a lot, a lot of other people are just kind of starting to think of or feel in that way, oh, you don't know who this person has lost during this. You don't know what they're going through during this. Are they living alone during this lockdown? You know, do they have someone to talk to? Those kind of thoughts are now going through a lot of people's heads. Do you think is empathy kind of at the heart of, of reading? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Books are empathy devices. Yeah, I always say this. And I think if you're unable to empathize, then you won't get the best out of the book. That's not to say that you, the reading experience is going to be dry for you, but I don't think you'll, you'll get the best out of it in terms of the use of language, the use of description, the use of the way people are, are thinking is described, their actions, how they behave. And, you know, the characters won't come alive for you in the same way if you're resisting empathizing because i think everybody you know people, everybody's possible of doing it in one way shape or another it's just about not 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 resisting that not blocking it off and i believe you've got a new poetry collection coming up soon is that right uh yes i do yes um i can't talk too much about it but because we haven't announced it yet but yes yeah, a poetry collection um which is going to be kind of like a narrative poetry collection based on a, a, a young west african mother who comes to the UK and um, just basically what her life was like when she came over. Just, I guess I'm just trying to document that area of life. I mean, would you, would you describe that reminds me as a, as a verse novel? And if so, what's the difference between a narrative poetry collection for you and a, and a verse novel? Is, is there a, a difference in the way of describing those two for you? Good question. I think you'd have to ask the marketing team, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, because obviously that reminds me, started off as a poetry collection. I was writing it as a, as a poetry collection. I decided that this is the way that I wanted to write poetry. It's the way that made most sense to me, made, more comfort- made me most comfortable. I was able to do it to the best of my abilities. With the new collection that I've written, it's a, it's a lot more traditional in the sense that it's not all prose poems. The narrative isn't as kind of fixed as that reminds me. So yeah, it's 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 quite different. And I did I did experiment with you know different kind of um, poetic structures and you know disciplines and traditional forms and things like that. But I just really find them res- restrictive. And I, honestly, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people do like them. And a lot of people feel like they like to flex their muscles and stuff when they able to to master a, a particular form. And there's definitely benefit in that. But I don't think it suits every single kind of story you're trying to tell or where, where you're where you're coming from do you know what i mean yeah i know exactly what you mean i think sometimes as well it seems some people's minds are are wired to enjoy the challenge of a form in a way that it helps them to to think i find when i'm writing it's almost like writing to commission if i have a right i'm going to write a sonnet i'm already kind of trapped in the idea of the sonnet rather than the idea that i'm yeah writing you know it's kind of already prescribed someone who i think does it really well is kayo chingonyi who i've just read the blood condition which is his new i've just started that oh yeah yeah Uh, yeah. and and he has a a crown of sonnets in it it's one of those things where you read it and think god okay that's why i should never write a sonnet because kayo does it so well and and it seems to be really useful for him to think through the form of the sonnet. Do you find that you kind of invent forms as you go? You know, that is there a sense of of the form kind of emerges to you and, and clicks in a way and you think, ah, that's how this poem should feel or look? Yes. Or, yeah, or... absolutely. That's yeah. I'm very intuitive when it comes to, to doing that. You know, do you know what I mean? And it's interesting that you you know you mentioned the the, the sequence of sonnets because that's I read that yesterday. And I thought the same thing. I was like, wow, this is this is really dope. But I, and then I stopped and I said to myself, damn, but I don't feel anything. And I, I really love poetry that makes me, again, like stop in my tracks and, and feel something, you know. I think when something is, this is just for me personally, when something is, is too polished, it takes away from the fact of that thing. Do you know what I mean? You, do, you, you, you admire it, you know, 
when you look at, for example, uh, a car, you look car is polished, it's beautiful. You just like, wow, this is this is amazing. I wonder how it works and and and, and those kind of things. You never you never wonder, I guess, the person who's going to end up driving that car. What about that person who's behind the wheel? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So do you, is it kind of a bit like admiring something's packaging rather than its contents in a way or, or is that how you feel like that that you feel yeah this... yeah yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely i do feel like that with um with a lot of um traditional forms but look, i mean i mean not all of them do you know what i mean like one of my one of my favorite poets is 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 percy Bushelli, do you know what i mean and wordsworth although they kind of yeah they did kind of subvert forms a bit themselves as well actually but then just kind of created their own ones it's complicated i think it's case case by case but but generally, in terms of what I write and the kind of people that I'm writing about, the kind of words that I like to use, the slang that I try and put into my verses and things like that, if I put those into traditional form, you would see the cage that they're locked in. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's not where you want the attention to focus or, or where you want the, the reader's engagement to be. No, not at all. I, I, I never want a reader to sit down and count the syllables in what I've written. And I, I never, do you know what I mean? Or start humming to themselves, trying to pick up the iambic pentameter. I, I, I would never want that. That's just me. How do you know when, or, or do, you, do you know when something wants to be a poem and when it wants to be prose or a prose poem? Can you articulate how that process comes about inside your head or is it does it feel random to you? No, it depends on what I'm, the feeling that I'm trying to convey or what it is that I can see. I see it and I can already see the structure without any words, but I can see the structure of the poem, what it's going to look like, whether I'm going to use any kind of rhyming patterns, any kind of couplets, eternal rhymes, or specific number of lines or whatever. I really know I'm going to do that before the words are already there because I have the feeling, the impression, you know, in my mind. So, yeah, so, yeah, sometimes I just, in my new collection, there's there's some poems that are like four lines. Do you know what I mean? And I knew there was going to be four lines before I, before I even wrote them. But as soon as I finished, I was like, yep, that's what I need to do. Don't need to do, any- <laughs> Don't need to do anymore. Yeah. Those are the those are the best poems. <laughs> yeah, th- I mean, those ones where you you get the sense that like I know this needs to be a brief experience, like the duration of the of the time you want someone to be inside that space, or the sort of sometimes you know a poem if it has argument needs to be longer, uh, and perhaps that's where prose can come in in a different way because you can you have more angles or you have more space or or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you finished with that book? Is it? Oh, we're going through the editing process at the moment. It hasn't really been announced yet. I mean, I can talk about it without giving in away too much details. But yeah, we, we're um, we're going through the editing process at the moment. I know a, a lot of writers that I've spoken to have found it very difficult to write over lockdown. Have you? Yeah, the the first lockdown, yeah, definitely. The first lockdown was really hard. I couldn't even read. You know, I even struggled watching like Netflix shows and stuff like that. But the second one was was better because the transitional period, I was able to find some inspiration and start writing. So when second lockdown came, I was able to just carry that feeling over. I was able to continue writing and then I could read a lot um, easier. But then the third lockdown, fine, writing was fine as well. But yeah, the first one was really, was really difficult because I did, there were times when nothing was coming. You know, again, I can't force myself to write. Or I think to myself, which I hate doing, should I start with an idea or an argument? Should I talk about COVID and what's happening in the world? You know, should I write something about Black Lives Matter? And I just, I can't force myself to do those things. But I I did kind of 
start feeling, I mean, I've never felt a responsibility to write about certain things, but I did feel kind of like, maybe I should. But then you just kind of realise that oh, there are other people doing it and probably doing it a lot better than I could ever do it. So I don't need to force myself to do that. I, I can I can do it, I can contribute in other ways. I don't have, to, it doesn't have to be through writing. Um, but no, yeah, it was it was tough. But second and third, fine. Yeah, I think we're we're kindred spirits there. Right? I I often have that sort of sense of responsibility to do things that I can't do, <laughs> and you kind of just have to, in the end, be confident and comfortable with the idea that you're doing what you do, and and that you can't really change the fundamentals of the way that you approach writing. You know where it comes from is a very personal thing that if you try and change it, I don't know if you've, if you feel that you can change it. But for me, I, I feel that I, I would just fall flat on my face if I, if I tried. And, and like you said, you know, there's, there's always someone doing them better than you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sometimes for, if I try and tamper with where my ideas come from, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose it somehow. It's going to escape me forever. Is it something that makes you anxious when you can't, right or are you kind of happy enough to wait for it if i've got a project on the go i'm happy enough to wait for it if i feel like oh my god it's been like a year since i've written anything or written an article or an essay or something then i start to panic and think damn is it gone you know the same with reading if i go a week without reading i start panicking to the point where i might even have an anxiety attack because i'm just so used to reading even if it's just 20 pages every single day when I can't do that, because I feel like reading is, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's a gift, you know what I mean? To be able to do that and take in the information. I just feel like I don't want to lose that. And I feel like in order to keep it, you need to keep, you know, you, they say, if you don't use it, you lose it. That kind of rubbish. <laughs> that's kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that's stuck in my head. Yeah, I know. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? You know, when you kind of see writing as, as something like a little bird that might fly off and never come back. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so is it is it something that you try and do every day? Are you a writer with a routine or are you a writer that waits? I wait. Yeah, I I, I wish I had a, a routine. One of my friends is, used to, she used to say to me all the time, whenever I'd say, I'm not ready to write yet, I need to wait for the month. She used to get so irritated with me and be like, you're so annoying. Stop being this pretentious artsy farsy writer and just sit down in front of your laptop and write and I'm just I can't I need to wait for the moment she's just roll her eyes and be like because she's a she's a journalist so, so she was like what are you talking about you need to write something write it but I just no, I can't I'm sorry I need to wait for the moment yeah no I definitely get that I think as well it must be frustrating for people that are journalists or, or whatever because I mean I'm maybe being unfair to journalists here but it feels like that's writing for information to convey things that you found mm, mm-hmm. or you know you can have an opinion and, and kind of put it on the page whereas there's something a lot more nebulous with writing in the way that you do it which is is not necessarily information driven but like you said impression driven or or driven by intuition or something a bit more complicated yeah it's a lot it's a lot yeah it's a lot more elusive than just Okay, here's the information conveyed in an entertaining way to the readers. I mean, I wish I wish I could literally just sit down and tap into that every single time. I would have written about 10 poetry collections by now, but it's just, it just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, back to um, Michael Longley quote, uh, if I knew where poems 
came from might go there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ex exactly that. Of course, if you if you could spur them on, we'd all be doing it. exactly. Uh, but you have your gin and cranberries, so that is <laughs> <laughs> an offering to to the gods. So, do you find that Saint Helens is a good place to to write? Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is. It's it's nice to go for a walk. Man Manchester is literally like twenty minutes on the train. Liverpool City Centre is twenty minutes on the train. Yeah, it's nice. I, just, like, I feel like I'm just in like a nice little bubble, um, and I can just kind of get things done, and then. When the book needs to come out, then I'll go, go to London and hopefully do events and, and, and stuff like that. They come straight back and start working on another book. That sounds perfect. Okay, well, thank you very much, Derek. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And best of luck with all the writing. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us always on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. You can check out our Facebook page. And if you go to our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk, you can sign up to our weekly newsletter. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. Please do consider making a donation today by heading over to the National Centre for Writing website and hitting support us in the top right hand corner. If you enjoyed the episode, please do leave us a review on iTunes or in your favourite podcast app. It does help other people to find and check out the podcast. Mm -hmm.